Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Hello, practitioners. Sorry that I'm calling a couple minutes late. I was helping do a little um, uh, tech stuff with um, the people over at the Heart Center right now. The new practitioner group is doing a monthly in-person meeting. So I'm meeting Brian over there facilitating that. And that's helping them set up some Skype. We actually have a very small group today. Patsy and Mar are working on some apartment stuff. They had to have like a wall torn down because of some a hot water leak sort of thing. I don't know. It's crazy. And then uh, Chris, I believe, is at a training seminar this weekend as well. So uh, it is going to be, I believe, Sushant and Lisa and Mike and uh, Brian and Amina were in Wednesday's call with Stephen and um, Tom. So I think that's all of us today. Are you guys all here? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank God. Now what we can do is uh, we'll just gossip about everyone that's not here. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll do, since we'll, we'll I heard this the conversation being recorded, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll continue the um, conversation of acceptance by accepting all of the defaults in our fellow, men, our fellow practitioners. Of course, I'm joking. We are all perfect, whole, and complete. Well, let's take a deep breath in. Uh, and breathe out and just take a second to align with our loving heart. Remind ourselves why we are here. Cut the cords of expectation and all the other stuff too. <laughs> and just rest in the love that's available when we are present. I'm grateful to be here. I'm really grateful to be here. Holy Spirit, we offer up this time to you. With a grateful heart, we go forward and place on the holy altar any anything that happened before this moment, anything that doesn't serve us, doesn't serve our commitment to live in the light, any judgments, opinions, any resentment, blame, shame, regret that we carry along with us from our past, we let it go. We cut the cords. We bring with us only the loving wisdom that we can harvest from the past so that we can see clearly this present moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just remembering and recognizing that we are in love with the one who invented love. We are that love. We allow the peace of God, the light of God, the brilliance and beauty of God to express freely as our life. And through this conversation, 
We share all the healing benefits of this remembrance with everyone because we're one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. So let's do a quick check-in. And uh, we're actually going to be doing a lot of reading today, which is not going to be the uh, theme of this uh, class. We're not going to be doing a little tons of in-class reading, but just the first few classes we are. Um, we're going to be exploring a specific section of the Course in Miracles today, and then uh, second half of classes, we're going to uh, go over the rest of the article, um, the commentary by Alan Watson about what is forgiveness. So, uh, so let's check in. How are we doing? Anything uh, anything new that we'd like to share with the group? Uh, Lisa and I are going to go to Vegas the first weekend of April. Um, Where are you going? Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to go to the um, Course in Miracles conference. Oh, oh wow. cool. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, is that that's Oh, maybe not. Is that the the CMC one or no? Uh it's the one that Kelly is part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the, Yeah. Cool. That'll be fun. Very cool. Say hi to Reverend Juniper. Yeah, um, and then, like, I just found out, I think, a couple of days ago that Muriel is going to it, too. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. It'll be nice. Yeah, that'd be cool. Very cool. Um, one of my mentor, my both my, two of my mentors will be there, Reverend Jennifer and Reverend Roxy. Um, mm. I think Reverend Roxy is doing, I think she's doing a workshop. Um, and if she is, then... Uh, I'll I'll give the details so you can go. She's really cool. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I think that Reverend Jennifer might need some assistance working her booth or something like okay. that. A part of it. I don't know if you'd be willing to support her, um, but if you are, I'll, I'll put you in contact with her. Um, yeah, definitely. But, but if you want to just you know, go and chill out, chillax and enjoy the experience without having to, I mean, but we all know, we we eat service up with the spoon. We love being in service up. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, I'll uh, I'll reach out to her via email, let her know. Okay, perfect. Sure. Cool, cool. Anybody else? Mike, what's new? Um, lots of, uh, learning opportunities presented at work, Could, uh, definitely some growth potential and perhaps, uh, if God would have it be so, uh, uh, more money. Um, cool. yeah. And then, you know, some challenges that are really exercising, working my practice with working with other people mm-hmm. and um and yeah and uh I've been doing the uh, the lessons every day which has been so 
life-altering for me. Um, mm. And the way I actually do it is that I, because I, I, I have a partner, I'm doing ECM too. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so I have to talk to this person every day. And usually during the week, the only time I can talk is like in the evening. So my new lessons begin in the evening for me into the next day. And so I have my next lesson in that evening. And a lot of times, like, the situations that are, ri- that are arising in my day-to-day, I find correlate to the lesson that I'm going to learn later on that evening. And, and in a lot of circumstances, I'm doing what it's asking of me before I, I get to the lesson. And, and in some circumstances, that's not the case. And it's just a nice reminder as to, you know, what, how I should proceed with it going forward. So um, that's been really exciting for me. Very cool. Very cool. That's very cool. I love it. I love that. Lisa, how are you doing? Well, I'm just like, I feel like I'm on the cusp of uh, just starting something new. Feel like I'm kind of ready now. I've been working on this God shot, and I think I'm ready to give the God shot and really be in a new place. Cool. All right. Love it. And Tushan? Uh, You know, I've been, like, really going deep with my practice in terms of doing the daily lessons with the course and reading the course and just, like, you know, finding any time that I have to become mindful and be present. But I find myself, like, just being so, like, easily irritable at work and, like, it's so strange because it's happened a lot like in this past couple of weeks where like things that didn't bother me about my students or anything like just seem to like, like, ah, what the heck? And um, I feel like I'm sleeping. uh, Like I go to bed on time and I'm like waking up, but I find like, even though I sleep through the night, like not feeling fully rested. And so I talked to one of my coworkers and she said that she had some like, you know, edible pot that she could give me uh, to see maybe that would help. And so I took it like, uh, I think it was two, two nights ago and I went to sleep and uh, like I got this, really strongly that like I don't know if it was like in a dream I I think it almost felt like a voice or something it was like to bring more joy to my practice and not be like so serious with it and I was like ah damn that was it it was like a really big um, you know sort of like aha 
And then I was like, so me being me, I felt like, okay, how do I bring joy to my practice? Let's Google bringing joy. And I was like, okay, I just have to chill out. And so uh, yesterday, my roommate and I, we just like had a fun sort of like night. And this morning, I just felt like I was going into it from like a completely different space, like, you know, kind of being joyful again with it. Great. You know, I I think you make a really good point. And listen, I I think that as we grow and expand, as uh, our, our practice grows and expands with us and takes many different forms and shapes and I was really, um, when we read uh, Testimony of Light, a section of that that really stood out to me this time, uh, this reading through, was the part where she said, had she known what she knew now, she would have pretty much, in essence, chilled out. <laughs> Practice allowing more. The, you know, the deep, like, contemplation, the work, the, you know, got to work on the practice, got to do more, got to learn more, got to do all that stuff. Um, to access that which has always been. And so what I love about A Course in Miracles is that it's a process of unlearning, of undoing, removing the block so that that which is here, that which is already present, can just effortlessly express itself. And so um, I'm really... I've been contemplating that idea of how do we experience the joy of God, the presence of God in our life. And, and I think a lot of it is, is act like God. Do our best to embody the qualities of God. Um, that's why I think that I've experienced so much movement in you know, finance when I give more. When I'm of more service, I feel like I'm more supported. When I uh, am playful, Life is more fun when I am giving, you know, I am open to receive more. And it's um, aligning yourself with, you know, aligning yourself with the presence of God, allowing that which is already here to express itself freely. And a lot of times it's just by chilling out, by chilling out. I had so many teachers tell me that, Jesse, you know, the greatest practice you can do in your life right now is just to chill out. Because <laughs> um, I'd want to know, like, why am I thinking this? Where are my thoughts? What is, what is it going? Who am I creating? What does that mean? And um, like, just in the reading uh, that we'll do today in the commentary, is the stuff that we make, like, all the stuff, like, oh, what does it mean? It, this means this. It's like it doesn't mean anything. It's just it means whatever you the, your funk that you're putting onto it, you know. Um, so to be able to just to let it go, let it go, let it go. Uh, allow, 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 just be present, be present, you know. These are, um, you know, keys to the kingdom, you know. Yeah. Playfulness, playfulness, for sure, playfulness, yes. Joy. I think everyone's big takeaway here is, you know, that everyone should just be smoking pot, (laughs) you know. (laughs) <laughs> really? I know. I feel like that's what Lisa heard in that. And she's like, "All oh, right, let's load it up. Hold on, let me take a bong rip before we get going here." <laughs> <laughs> the gangsta. She is gangsta. 
Lisa's driving in her car, smoking a doobie right now. She's riding, she's riding dirty, riding dirty. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jesse, you know you're you're my real medical marijuana. Oh, wow, that's 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 the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I know, right? <laughs> so we are going to uh, we're going to get down to business today, and Mike, I think you'll probably be stoked that we're going to be reading The Hero of the Dream. It's a section mm-hmm. in Course in Miracles that pretty much breaks down what it is that we're experiencing, the illusion. We've heard it referenced many times to the illusion. So we're going to look at what does that actually mean. Um, so we're going to read through it in its entirety, and then we'll go back and discuss, okay? So uh, The Hero of the Dream is on page 585 in the text, 585. It's chapter 27, The Healing of the Dream, and it's section 8, The Hero of the Dream. Page 585 in the um, Volume 3, Course in Miracles. So I'm going to encourage you to uh, take out your pens or highlighters, whatever it is that you use to... Uh, make notations or notes for yourself. If you don't like writing in books, you can uh, get your journal out. Anything that will support you in um, being able to reference some of this work. And also, guys, just so you know, we're doing, uh, I'm going to be launching the Course in Miracles study group again um, starting a week from this Tuesday. Um, It's going to probably be can't be too early, but it can't be too late because we have life support. So it'll probably be 6.30 or 6.45 p.m. And uh, it'll go to uh, probably 7.45, 7.50. Um, and I encourage you all, if you're interested in uh, looking at certain sections of the course with me and discussing it, to uh, participate. Okay, the hero of the dream. Here's the reading order. We'll do paragraph by paragraph, and it will go, I'll go, then Sushant will go, then Mike will go, then Lisa will go. So Jesse, Sushant, Mike, Lisa. Cool? Yes. The coolest. Cool. Cool. The hero of the dream. The body is the central figure in the dreaming of the world. There is no dream without it, nor does it exist without the dream in which it acts as if it were a person to be seen and be believed. It takes a central place in every dream, which tells the story of how it was made by other bodies, born into the world outside the body, lives a little while and dies, to be united in the dust with other bodies, dying like itself. In the brief time allotted it to live, it seeks for other bodies as its friends and enemies. Its safety is its main concern. Its comfort is its guiding rule. It takes to look for pleasure and avoid the things that would be hurtful. Above all, it tries to teach itself its pains and joys are different and can be told apart. The dreaming of the world takes many forms because the body seeks in many ways to prove it is autonomous and real. It puts things on itself that it has bought with little metal discs or paper strips the world proclaims as valuable and real. 
It works to get them doing senseless things and tosses them away for senseless things it does not need and does not even want. It hires other bodies that they may protect it and collect more senseless things than that it can call its own. It looks about for special bodies that can share its dreams. Sometimes it dreams it is a conqueror of bodies weaker than itself. But in some phases of the dream, it is the slave of bodies that would hurt and torture it. The body's serial adventures from the time of birth to dying are the theme of every dream the world has ever had. The hero of this dream will never change, nor will its purpose. Though the dream itself takes many forms, it it seems to show a great victory of places and events wherein its hero finds itself. The dream has but one purpose, taught in many ways. This single lesson does it try to teach again, and still again, and yet once more, that it is cause and not effect, and you are its, its effect and cannot be its cause. Thus are you not the dreamer, but the dream. And you, and so you wander idly in and out of places and events that it contrives. That is all the body does, and that this is all the body does is true, for it is but a figure in a dream. But who reacts to figures in a dream unless he sees them as if they were real? The instant that he sees them as they are, they have no more effects on him because he understands he gave them their effects by causing them and making them seem real. How willing are you to escape the effects of all the dreams the world has ever had? Is it your wish to let no dream appear to be the cause of what it is you do? Then let us merely look upon the dream's beginning. For the part you see is but the second part, whose cause lies in the first. No one asleep and dreaming in the world remembers his attack upon himself. No one believes there really was a time when he knew nothing of a body and could once and could never have conceived this world as real. He would have seen at once that these ideas are one illusion, too ridiculous for anything but to be laughed away. How serious they now appear to be, and no one can remember when they would have met with laughter and with disbelief. We can remember this if we but look directly at their cause, and we will see the grounds for laughter and not a cause for fear. Let us return the dream he gave away unto the dreamer who perceives the dream as separate from himself and done to him. Into eternity where all is one, there crept a tiny mad idea at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. In his forgetting did the thought become a serious idea and possible of both accomplishment and real effects. Together we can laugh them both away and understand that time cannot intrude upon eternity. It is a joke to think that time can come to circumvent eternity, which means there is no time. A timelessness in which is time made real. A timelessness is in which is time made real. Okay. 
a part of God that can attack itself, a separate brother as an enemy. A mind within a body are all forms of circulatory, circularity, sorry, whose ending starts at its beginning, ending at its cause. The world you see depicts exactly what you thought you did, except that now you think that what you did is being done to you. The guilt for what you thought is being placed outside of yourself and on a guilty world that dreams your dreams and thinks your thoughts instead of you. It brings its vengeance, not your own. It keeps you narrowly confined within a body, which it punishes because of all the sinful things the body does within its dreams. You have no power to make the body stop its evil deeds because you did not make it and cannot control its actions, nor its purpose, nor its faith. The world but demonstrates an ancient truth. You will believe that others do to you exactly what you think you did to them. But once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do, because you want because you want the guilt. Wait, wait. Somebody's calling me, so it kind of threw me off. Um, because you want the guilt to rest on them. How childish is this? Is the petulant device to keep your innocence by pushing guilt outside yourself by never letting go? It is not easy to perceive the jest. All around you do your eyes behold its heavy consequences, but without their trifling cause. Without the cause do its effects seem serious and sad indeed, yet yet they but follow, and it is their cause that follows nothing and is but a jest. In gentle laughter does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause, I'm sorry. In gentle laughter does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause and looks not to effect. How else could he correct your error to have overlooked the cause entirely? He bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh at them a while. You judge effects, but he has judged the cause, and by his judgment are effects removed. Perhaps you come in tears, but hear him say, My brother, holy son of God, behold your idle dream, in which this could occur. And you will leave the holy instant with your laughter and your brothers joined with his. The secret of salvation is but this, that you are doing this unto yourself. No matter what the form of the attack, this still is true. Whoever takes the role of enemy and of attacker still still is this the truth. Whatever seems to be the cause of any pain and suffering you feel, this is still true. For you would not react to all to for you would not react at all to figures in a dream you knew that you were dreaming. Let them be as hateful and as vicious as they may. They could have no effect on you unless you failed to recognize it is your dream. The single lesson learned will set you free from suffering, whatever form it takes. 
The Holy Spirit will repeat this one inclusive lesson of deliverance until it has been learned, regardless of the form of suffering that brings you pain. Whatever hurt you bring to him, he will make answer with this very simple truth. For this one answer takes away the cause of every form of sorrow and of pain. The form affects his answer not at all, for he would teach you, but the single cause of all of, all of them, no matter what their form. And you will understand that miracles reflect the simple statement, I have done this thing, and it is this I would undo. Bring then all forms of suffering to him who knows that everyone is like the rest. He sees no differences where none exists, and he will teach you how each one is caused. None has a different cause from all the rest, and all of them are easily undone by but a single lesson truly learned. Salvation is a secret you have kept but from yourself. The universe proclaims it is so. Yet to its witnesses you pay no heed at all, for they attest the thing you do not want to know. They keep, they seem to keep its secret from you, yet you need but learn you chose but not to listen, not to see. How differently you perceive the world when this is recognized. When you forgive the world your guilt, you will be free of it. Its innocence does not demand your guilt nor does your guiltlessness rest on its sins. This is the obvious, a secret kept from no one but yourself. And it is this that has maintained you separate from the world, you separate from the world, and kept your brothers separate from you. Now need you but to learn that both of you are innocent or guilty. You are, the both of you are innocent or guilty. The one thing that is impossible is that you be unlike each other. They are that they both are true. This is the only secret yet to learn, and it will be no secret you are healed. So, why are we exploring this section of, um, why are we exploring this section of the course as we talk about forgiveness. True forgiveness. Because sometimes we think we forgive, but we're really still in that whole scenario of just pain and suffering where there's an attacker and where there's a victim. Yes. And, and this, this is, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. The only ahead. way to the only way to really get out of it is to see it for what it is and and then you just naturally choose to step out of it once you see it for what it really is, which is like is what I call the matrix. Yes. Yeah, this is the first time we're really really having the conversation about this is all a dream. It's a dream. And 
if I were to go over to Sushant's house, if Sushant was dreaming, let's say Sushant takes one of his edibles that he does now every night before he goes to bed. It was a one-time thing. <laughs> and now that he's growing pot in his, in his closet... <laughs> Uh, and he's going to go sell it at the Course in Miracles uh, <laughs> convention. At Jennifer's booth. At Jennifer's booth, if you give him the right code. <laughs> um, let's say Sushant goes to sleep. Uh, he has a dream. And in the dream, I come over and I punch him in the face. And when he wakes up, he's enraged. And he calls the police. And he says, I'd like to file a report. I've been assaulted. And they get the details, and he's like, yes, well, it all happened in my dream. Well, last time when I was sleeping, I dreamt that Jesse came over and punched me in my face, and I want to file charges against him, please. What would they say? <laughs> they would say that I was crazy. Yeah, they would. They'd say, you're yeah. crazy. Yeah. That, that didn't actually happen. Yeah. Well, welcome to the reality that we live in, guys. <laughs> so it's helping us forgive because it never happened. Not that, I mean, we've really talked about the process to get to this point. We've talked about getting clear as to projection and perception. And... Um, you know, the story we place on things that happen that keep us in upset, that keep us in judgment, right? But now we're, now we're looking at what's, what's the next level behind that, what's the next layer behind that? And it is the illusion that the body that we identify with so strongly is but a, the central character in a dream. In a dream, the body does not exist. The body is a symbol of separation. And so if in a dream, if in a dream of terrorists, quote-unquote terrorists, fly a plane into the Twin Towers, did it actually happen? No. So should we be afraid of them? No. If our bodies are an illusion, so consider this, Mike, you've shared plenty of times, because you're my brother in this, about having sort of uh, a lot of insecurities around your physical body, about weight and things like that. If you're not these body, if, if you are not that body, then what's going on there? I'm dreaming. You're what? I'm dreaming. I'm having yeah, a nightmare. Making, exactly. We're making it real. I mean, I think about all the money I continue to spend on fitness stuff, right? And all the guilt that I carry around thinking like, oh, I need to go on a diet, I need to do this, and blah, 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 over something that doesn't actually exist. Hmm. What's so interesting is I see so many people, I've had this experience so many times with people that have you know, gone through something traumatic or have gone through a breakup. And um, this is, a lot of times this is with gay men. I've had this experience with gay men a lot. 
And then they decide to, their version of taking their life in their own hands is losing a bunch of weight. <laughs> I've gotten, I say, well, how are you doing? They're like, I'm really good. I'm in the best shape of my life. I've gotten really, you know, in shape. And I'm like, okay. Well, how else are you doing? They're like, oh, all right. But I'm feeling great. I'm having a lot of sex. I'm really feeling free in that. I'm like, well, right. Well, you keep going. <laughs> and inevitably, what happens is that doesn't sustain them. They have a misperception that if I get super in shape, then I'm going to be happy. Now, we oftentimes, and I really share this, and I try to my best to really let this be for myself, but, you know, listen, living in Los Angeles is a challenge with this, and I, for me at least, that we exercise and we, you know, eat foods that will support our bodies so we're not distracted by it. But oftentimes, it's the distraction of the body that motivates people into getting exer- exercising again to really great shape so they can have really good sets, and then they're actually more distracted by it. And so it's being able to understand, to, to be able to transcend it. Now, we have to be able to accept where we are, accept what we're doing, accept where, where it is that we're you know, moving from and what we're creating and where we are. That's why we talked so much about acceptance last week. And acceptance is peace, and in the peace is the ability to stay present and be able to see the truth of what is. So but this whole idea of the body is but a central figure. I, I love this part about money. I mean, really, I mean, contemplate like how much you've, uh, I know each person on this, this phone call has had challenges, uh, ups and downs with money. And I love that it says, you know, um, that it, it talks about just metal discs and pieces of paper that we have decided have value. And these things that we put, we dress the body in these things that we deem nice to prove something about ourselves. Prove what? And that's why they say it's nuts. It's total insanity. <clears throat> it's, and, and to bring up Sushant's point earlier, it says the Holy Spirit laughs at it. It just laughs at it. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, and when we hand it over to Spirit, when we hand it over to Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is our translator. It's the bridge to God. It is sort of like the, uh, it's sort of like the voice of God within the illusion, that which guides us back to truth. When we hand it over to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't play in the realm of effects. It only goes to the cause, the cause being the belief that we are separate from God, which has never happened. It's crazy thinking. It's crazy thinking. So another element, um, another story and testimony of light that I'm going to ask you guys to talk about for a moment is... um, that character and testimony of light that Frances talked about, she came, uh, she was a missionary that was killed with the little boy that she was taking care of. And um, how she was like sort of awoke and, and surrounded by nuns. And she's like, I knew there'd be nuns here. <laughs> and they were saying how by earth 
standards, the woman wouldn't be considered super intelligent. And yet she was very spiritually evolved and, in fact, didn't stay in that plane for very long. It was a very short trip that um, sort of a messenger or a light being took her to the next realm very quickly. What was it that she did? Remember, she had a specific practice that they referenced that supported her in sort of living an enlightened existence, even without this, you know, vast intelligence. Does anyone remember? I just remember she really gave everything to serve to serve somebody else, to love somebody else. She gave herself over to it. And that's kind of what That really, that's really salvation right there. Yes, she was definitely of service. She was, ma- she was a master servant. But there was another thing that she did. It was a practice that she did that she spoke about that Francis noted. Bueller. She gave everything over to her inner guide, which translated as Holy Spirit. She gave everything over, every decision, everything. She handed everything over to her inner guide. She didn't make a decision without handing her over to her inner guide. And that's, um, that's going to be us. We're going to wake up and be like, oh, yeah, there was nuts here. That's right. <laughs> that's what we do. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, listen, that's the practice. The course encourages you to do it with everything. Now, of course, we translate that as, well, the big decisions, (laughs) what we deem to be the big decisions, but it actually is saying everything. And why is it important that we give everything over to Holy Spirit? Give this car ride over to Holy Spirit. Give this day at work over to the Holy Spirit. Give this hour over to the Holy Spirit. Give Holy Spirit, what shall I wear today? We think, oh, that's silly. You don't want to do that. It's too much work. But that's the invitation. And why? Because it's our guide to God. One, it develops, you know, a loving discipline in our life that will support us in releasing, you know, the ego belief system and embracing uh, alignment with perfect love. And two, it will guide us to be where we need to go. And you think, ha-ha, yeah, right, okay, our, we're going to ask what clothes should we wear? But what Let's just say, what if, I mean, can we, can we not wrap our mind around the possibility that if we handed it over to Holy Spirit and the outfit we were wearing uh, that we felt guided to put on after we handed it over to Holy Spirit caught the eye of somebody specifically that then became our business partner, that we developed this program that supported people in, I don't know, changing the world in some capacity that really helped you know, many people touch the hand of God and awaken to their oneness of spirit. Like, like, is that so far out of the realm of possibility that we'd be like, no, that's stupid. We can't, the clothes don't matter. The clothes don't matter. Whatever doesn't matter. If you feel compelled to hand it over to spirit, then let's just trust that, you know, if we hand everything over to Holy Spirit, like um, Bill Thetford has recorded this, started doing that practice and how, miraculous and easy his life became well like once he started listening to spirit listening like handing it over 
Holy Spirit, when shall I leave? And he would just listen and he would get the guidance 215. All right, 215. I'll leave the house at 215. Holy Spirit, what should I do? Just go to the corner of, you know, Fourth and Riverside, okay? And he said that he would, he did, he, he was talking about once he did that, he, he just got the guidance to leave at this certain time, go to this corner and wait, and a limousine pulled up. <laughs> and took him somewhere that he needed to go in the spring, and then they didn't charge him, or they charged him $5. And he was like, I'm just going with the flow. I'm just, I'm just handing everything over. So let's talk a little bit more about what was discussed here, this idea of the illusion and how it pertains to forgiveness. True forgiveness is understanding that nothing happened. It's all a dream. It's not just what I perceive happened didn't happen. That is true. And yes, I'm projecting all of my subconscious guilt onto the other person, but it never happened. So this is how we really, and this is a big conversation. It is. It feels big. It's only big to our ego because that means the death of the ego. And our ego will hold on tight to all the evidence that would say, well, that's crazy. If you believe that, you're insane. That's hoobie-jubie, unrelatable, way too spiritual stuff that no one's ever going to resonate with and no one's ever going to understand, you know, and it has absolutely no bearing in the real world. But the truth is it has all bearing in the real world because the real world is perfect love. The world that we operate in is not the real world. So, what are your thoughts? What are your big, did you have any aha moments or any interesting new awarenesses? Are you um, trying I to throw something in? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll go first. Uh, I was just going to say um, that if you have the awareness that it's a dream, it doesn't necessarily mean you change your, well, you know, it doesn't mean you change anything where you're at, you know. It's like we find ourselves in these roles and we're playing this part. But once we realize it's a dream, it doesn't really mean we have to change roles or anything. It just means that we don't have to go through any pain. Is that about the size of it? Hello? Sorry, I had myself on mute. I said this is why acceptance is so crucial, because we accept where we are. And it's sort of like Muriel said one time in a course class that, um, you know, you can know, I know that I'm a child of God. I just don't feel like that today. And in that acceptance, we are able to do our work, right? Our, and, and sometimes our gentle work is to do nothing, but we can hand over to the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Jesus was a fully aware. He was an enlightened being, and he still worked within the illusion to support other people in waking up to their oneness, right? He, through his teaching and his demonstration, he was leading others into a new way of thinking, of seeing the world. And so we can accept it and listen, but we, we can understand it conceptually. Like myself, personally, I understand this conceptually. Is it my day-to-day experience? Not yet. Do I aspire to um, enlighten and 
connect fully to my oneness with God? Absolutely. I stand firm in that aspiration, that commitment. I believe I am worthy to ascend to that state of awareness. Um, And I accept that I still get triggered by personalities and situations and things like that. And I accept that. And I am willing to transform it. But we are where we are. And so it's, it's really, I think, crucially important to, rem- to realize that, to stay in a state of gentle acceptance so that we can stay present. Not judge ourselves from where we think we should be, but accept kind of like Byron Katie, accept that we are here, we're here now, and I'm available. Mike? Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts? I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I try to do it, you know, obviously. Um, some Some days are easier than others, but I, you know, I kind of relate to what you say where it's like, you know, today I just, I'm not, I know I am made of the perfection of God, but I don't necessarily feel like it today. And then just the acknowledgement, even though there's some resistance to fully accepting it, there is acceptance there and it it just opens uh, the pathway for it to reveal itself when it's, you know, time. Um, so, yeah. Perfect. And also, like, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the, this whole idea of, like, um, you know, when the Son of God forgot to laugh, um, like, I think I've shared this with you guys before, but, you know, there are some moments where, like, I'm in it and I'm, like, you know, like I mentioned, I'm not, I, I know I am, the, you know, made of God's perfection, but I don't feel like it today, you know, and then I'll, you know, I'll be, like, in a situation where I'm really thick in that mindset and then, you know, I'll hear your voice, Jesse, be like, get excited, it's, it's an opportunity to heal and I will, like, kind of laugh, you know, I'll kind of you know, be like, oh, fucking Jesse, yeah, you're right, okay. You know, and it kind of gets me, you know, like, you know, it, it, like, lightens the mindset enough for me to remember to shift. And so that always kind of reminds me of of that situation where that happens (laughs) to me, quite literally. I think that's a very important point you're making is that lightheartedness of it because it's like, I mean, the way that I hold it, it's kind of like watching a, a child play pretend, you know, like yeah. think of like watching a kid like with like, you know, like a, a crown made of like cardboard and foil and a cake tied to it and a magic wand and just taking the <laughs> imagination time too seriously and then, being a loving parent, looking at them, being like, "Oh, sweetheart, <laughs> remember, yeah. there's not, there's not really an evil overlord trying to take over the world. That's just pretend time." Yeah. Like, oh, right, right, right. 
lovingly take it back. You remember? Like, oh, see, what happened was you decided to play pretend. It's not real, remember? And they're like, oh, right, okay, that's right. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to us, is just lovingly, joyfully taking us back. Why joyfully? Because it's fully operating in its full, true nature, the nature of God. And I honestly, like, I, you know, I think living a, a lighthearted life, it sounds fantastic. I love it when I'm in that, you know, mindset. Well, Mike, what is it that takes you out of it? Uh, false beliefs and... Well, let's talk about them. Like, honestly, because like, this is the, this is, I almost swore, this is the stuff that we got to get super clear on because this is the stuff that we're going to be supporting other people with. And we, and, and we got to look at it without any shame or blame or any of our junk on it. Like, what, what takes you out of being peaceful? Uh, when, you know, well, you know, I'm dating. So, you know, when I place an expectation on someone and it fails, you know, like, um, you know, if I don't see them as much as I want to see them or I don't hear from them, uh, you know, within the time frame that I feel like we should be communicating, you know, um, in, in dating that is very, I'm, I'm, it's, it presents many opportunities for me to work on that kind of stuff because I, I'm a little more challenged in that area, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I like, uh, you know, I'm, I've been seeing this guy off and on for like six months and, uh, and we've seen each other pretty consistently, almost like oh, every weekend, but he's not at a place where he, you know, wants to be in like a serious relationship, um, which I accepted, but still placed expectations on him that he should, um, he should still be very consistent with me with his time and, you know, yada, yada. And so I came to, like, a very big uh, shift in my thinking when I remembered that we had this discussion and that I was still holding to these expectations that, um, that I, you know, that I placed on him regardless of this conversation where we communicated, uh, where he communicated what he is available to offer into this relationship that we have. And um, I kind of experience, you know, like I have them on Spotify. So like, I don't know if you guys know Spotify, but you can see the music that they're listening to. And, uh, and, and sometimes like, I'll just like, you know, especially if, you know, I'm going on three weeks now, not seeing him guys. Okay. And like, I see him like playing music on a Spotify. It kind of makes me sick. You know, because I'm having some, you know, weird, you know, uh, false belief in seeing that he's still alive and well, but he's not like communicating with me. And um, and so I've been really working on. I like in one of the lessons this week, I think it was talking about, um, or maybe the week previous, uh, talking about how we see people as bodies and then we hold them to that. And so we're kind of like, you know, we're stunting our the, the relationships that we can have with them by only keeping them at 
the the effects of a body and not acknowledging them as like you know spirit and power and, and connectedness and whatnot so I had a, a breakthrough in that sense and then this um you know sometime this week I kind of like flipped on my Spotify at work and I he wasn't on, but it showed the last song he listened to, and I kind of was—I felt that lightheartedness a little bit. I was like, "Oh, I wonder what he's listening to," and I kind of like clicked on it and played it, and it was like hardcore opera music. And I—I I just kind of like laughed, and I was like, "Oh, that's so Raul. I love that guy. I hope he's doing well." And then you know, I went on with my day, and I had like a very lighthearted experience of almost love with him that. You know, I didn't need to have him right there in front of me to share it with or anything like that. It was just like, you know, I wasn't holding him to that expectation necessarily in that moment. And I was able to be like, you know, free with my love for him without holding him to any expectations and without him even having to necessarily receive it in a physical way. So, well, I'm going to interject here as well, circling back. Uh, one of our older teaching, uh, one of the older texts of uh, radical forgiveness, what, when he didn't reach out to you and you saw that he was living his life, what, um, when you felt triggered, what was the belief system that was being brought to the surface? Feelings of being rejected by him? Or yeah. that, yeah. And, and, and if someone can reject you, what does that mean about you? That means that if someone can reject me, that, that I am capable of rejection myself and, and of attack well, because yeah, I, but, I'm feeling attacked. Yes, yes, that's an underlayer of there. But even more, like, what does it mean that people reject you? What does that mean about you? That means I'm feeling worthy of being rejected. Yeah, that you're, and which which means if you're worthy of being rejected, that means that what? What are you unworthy of? Love. Yeah, right. So so now Raul becomes an opportunity to practice what? Finding my source of love from within me. Yeah, and because was Raul's intention to prove to you that you are unworthy of being loved, of his love, you're unworthy of his love, is that what do you think what he was the the point he was trying to make to you? No, I mean, I, I definitely know that he, his, I mean, I don't know what his intent, like on a human level is, but I know that his intent in this situation with me is for me to learn this lesson and heal. Well, yeah, I mean, that's always what it is. I mean, his, his intent really doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right, right. Because <laughs> it's just how you're, that's his business. But yeah, um, yeah. it's how, what are you making it mean? And now Raul, who one, starts as the rejector, the person that is, um, and I love how quickly the transformation time, the recovery time is here. Raul, who once started as the victimizer, rejecting you, not seeing how good and godly you are, you know, this this jerk who feels thinks he's so great and will go about his life listening to Spotify, even if he's not connecting with you, has now yeah. become has now become a gift, a teacher who is supporting yeah. you in healing a belief system that no longer works with you. And so 
when you have healed the belief that you are unworthy to be loved, can you possibly find yourself in situations that are going to reiterate that belief? If I have, if I've if you felt that be- false belief, yeah, yeah. No. If, if you feel that, no. no, you can. Now, does that mean that people aren't going to not call you back after going on a date with you? No. Yeah, but well, but it won't be the same situation, will it? Right. You'll be in holy relationships, and you'll be able to transcend the responsibility that you place on other bodies to, um, you know, we take, we take away other people's responsibility to make us worthy. Right. Yeah, you release the hostage. But your yeah. commitment to healing that belief system is deep, runs deep. You've talked about it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was ingrained very early on belief of being unlovable, unworthy of love, feeling rejected from, you know, from your mother, from, uh, you know, not feeling safe around other people, being, you know, victimized and hurt. People are out to hurt, not to love, all that stuff that has, you know, that you are now on, I feel, the other side of or close to the top of the mountain of. And so how do we, what's the proof of that? That your recovery time is very fast. And yeah. that you're able to transform those experiences and those feelings from a space of um, feeling hurt and rejected to a space of gratitude and contentment of, oh, he's great. Uh, trust that he's doing fine. Yeah. All a dream. So we see that's a great example of not being stuck in the effects, but going back to the cause. The, the, the Holy Spirit's not going to waste time on figuring out why Raul's not calling you. It's not important. What it's going to do is support you when you hand it over to the Holy Spirit and going to the cause of, oh, baby, you just feel rejected. Isn't that funny how you think you can be rejected? Isn't it silly how you think you're this body that can be rejected by other bodies and that that actually means something? <laughs> and that you'll spend time on debating what it is about your body that is so worth rejecting. It's all yeah. nonsense. It's craziness. And but that's how we that I mean think about all the time that we spend doing that, you know? Yeah. Think of the time we spend trying to at least agonizing about getting our body in a space that will be um worthy of being loved, you know, or a certain type of caliber a person needs to love uh, and so we have to get our body to look a certain way so we can be lovable, you know. And, and if we don't, and then it's only empowering. Our empowered life looks like, you know, a six-pack. And that's when we're really aligned and in love with ourselves. Like, that's that real self-love is, is that. It's all insanity. The body doesn't exist. <laughs> it's crazy thinking. Oh, okay, kids, let's take a break. Uh, five minutes. It's 11.35. I'll see you back at 11.40, and we're going to dive. We're going to, it, it, this really is a continuation of this conversation in the realm of forgiveness. Cool? Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, take five.
Okay, we are back. 11.40. Any last thoughts on Hero of a Dream that we can wrap up in five minutes or less? Kishan, I know I didn't really, didn't really get to share too much. I really like the <clears throat> the part about the cause and effect that you were talking about earlier. That's what I was going to mention is just like also, you know, looking at like a lot of times, like if I have a dream and I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, wow, that was interesting. And as I like I, parts of it will come to me through, during the day and I'm like, oh, it's, wow, that's interesting. Or share with someone like, oh, I had this dream with you and this was going on and stuff. And like looking at the dream as a very sort of like amusing thing or things that you know, I'm not really like super attached to or anything. Um, and then like sort of applying that same thing, that same sort of mentality into everyday life. So I'm curious to like, you know, do that and see like how my perception change, changes this week with uh, different situations and just sort of like laugh at it. You know, oh, it's funny you were so-and-so in my dream or, you know, we were flying and, you know, it's so funny. And so if uh, I'm annoyed at someone or something, like, oh, it's funny, like, you know, you're in my dream right now and I'm in your dream right now. Um, so I think I'm definitely going to try it out this week and see what comes up. Cool. Don't just don't try to like fly off any buildings or anything like that. <laughs> I'll try to just just accept that you might not be there quite yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing to know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, this dream! Like I just walked into the bank and took all the money I wanted. It's crazy. <laughs> um, okay, <clears throat> so. Let's go back and let's continue to explore What is Forgiveness? What is Forgiveness by Alan Watson, commentary. So paragraph one, just to uh, refresh our memory, forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. What is sin except a false idea about God's son? Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. Okay, we're getting some crazy sounds on the other line. So if you want to mute your handheld up, that'd be awesome. Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take its place is now the will of God. Okay, Mike, um, you're going to have one minute. Go, go, uh, line by line of that first paragraph and talked about how it relates to Hero of the Dream. Ready? Begin. Take yourself off mute, Mike. Mike, are you still with us? Maybe Mike. Hey, I'm here. Okay. All right. Did you did you hear what I asked you to do? No, I I was sitting here thinking that uh, my uh, speakerphone was on, but then I looked and my phone or my call got dropped, so I had to call back. Oh, okay. So 
So what I'd like you to do is take the commentary by Alan Watson. Okay. Go to the first paragraph. Uh-huh. Uh, and go line by line. And you're going to have one minute to do the entire thing, one minute line by line, and relate it to the reading that we just did on Hero of the Dream. <laughs> okay? Uh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, and begin. Forgiveness recognizes that you thought your brother did to you. What you what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin, and in that view are all your sins forgiven. What is sin except a false idea about God, Son? Forgiveness merely sees it false, its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take its place? What what then is free to take its place is now the will of God. Okay, so Mike, so that first sentence, read it again and relate it to Hero of the Dream. Oh, the sentence. Uh, (laughs) Forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. Um, So what does that mean? And I mean, mean, let's, let's assume that the Hero of the Dream writing is absolutely correct. So what does that mean? And, and, and it means that you're, you're in a dream. Yeah, exactly. So forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. Yeah. Well, because it never happened. It's a dream. Right. It's an illusion, right? Right. Okay. Next, yeah. next sentence. It does not pardon sins and make them real. Okay. So talking, going back to last week's discussion of a sin, you know, which is what? A attack on who? On ourselves. On, and others. On, oh, on God's yeah. uh, salvation or will. Yeah, so is that even possible to do? No. Why is it not possible? Because nothing, uh, the effects of something that's not real can't affect something, the only thing that is real. Yes, exactly. How could we, uh, we're, we're part of God. Like, <laughs> it can't be offended or we can't do anything against it. We're a part of it, okay? Next sentence. And in that view are all of your sins forgiven. So when you think okay. that way, you realize the truth and that forgiveness really means that there are no, the illusions aren't real. Yeah, so true forgiveness is seeing, uh, so forgiveness is recognizing the the illusions. Recognizing the truth, yeah. So yeah, forgiveness the is, truth. Is, yeah, so forgiveness is just seeing the truth. True forgiveness is just seeing the truth, okay? Uh, okay, go ahead. What's the next thing? What, what is sin except a false idea about God's son? What's the false idea? That, that the Son of God can sin or be sinned against. Uh-huh. And what's the baseline belief system under that? That what? That this all stems no from sin. this is all this all stems from one base belief system, which is what? That we are blank from God. Oh, separate. Yeah. So it's it, uh, sin is 
what, acknowledging or falling under the perception that we are separate? Yeah, we're separate from God. The God Son yeah. is not separate from God, which means that the God Son had to kill God in order to be itself, this body, this symbol of separation, which never happened. Okay, okay. so next. Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. Yeah, it's like that. It's like there's sort of like this running joke, like I'm a really good friend, but I'm not such a good friend that I'm going to sit around and listen to your dreams. Like, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> like, uh, there's like this joke on Amy Schumer about like, about like people that will listen to you, but then like they're not saints. You can't expect them to listen to your dreams. And it's sort of the same idea of like, like um, forgiveness is like, okay, we're not going to spend time in your dreams. We're just going to focus on what's real. Not your misperception of what you think happened that never actually happened. Uh, so we're, we're just going to let that go. And then what's next? Uh, what then is free to take its place is now the will of God. So yeah. you're, you're making space for God's path to unfold. Just the truth, yeah. It's like take off the blinders. Like, there's no light. There's no light. We'll just want you to take off the blinders. Oh, there's light. All right. Now you got it. Now you can... Now you're playing with fire, cooking with fire. Okay. Paragraph two. All right, Lisa. Same game. Ready? Oh, wait. Actually, paragraph one, that kind of applies. Paragraph two doesn't. We're just going to... Lisa, just read paragraph two. The first paragraph under paragraph two. Um, I want to emphasize the words, that one? No. Uh, it's on page three, under the section, paragraph two. It's the first paragraph. Oh, okay, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. An unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that it will not raise to doubt, although it is not true. Okay. So that means um, when you make a judgment, you don't even leave room to raise doubt that this whole thing might be a dream. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like standing for, it's like Sushant being like, no, he came over and punched me in the face. It's what happened. I was there. Yeah, but it was a dream. But he's wrong. He's bad. He's an awful person. I don't want to be around him. Sushant, you're putting all the story on something that never happened. Well, you know what? He's a bad person. No one can tell me different. Uh, all right. Well, he's going to stand steadfast in what's not true. Have fun with that. What, what is he going to experience? He's going to experience upset, and he'll probably throw away the most valuable relationship he's ever had in his life, the one with me. So... <laughs> That sounds like an illusion, too. That sounds like a real illusion to me. I'm going to doubt that, you know? All right, so let's do the next sentence. Um, It's just what you said. The mind is closed and will not be released. In other words, you don't leave room for doubt and then it's closed. Right. The thought protects projection tightening its chains so that distortions are more veiled and more obscure, less easily accessible to doubt and further kept from reason. 
So what I see there is once you go start going down this road and uh, really believing you're right and getting on your little high horse, that actually probably takes you to another little rabbit hole called projection, which you start to project onto other people the same what your um what your judgment is on them is really your whatever you start to reject onto other people, and then you know that that kind of takes you worse into problems with other people when you project onto them your own stuff. Well, yeah, you're going further down the rabbit hole. Exactly. So when you're unmovable in your judgment, which is a false mis- it's just a misperception, it never really happened. So like using the Sushant example, he's holding tight onto the um, belief that I came over and punched him that that means I'm a bad person, that I'm somebody to be afraid of. And he, the more he starts telling other people about how awful I am, how I'm an abuser and all this stuff, the further down he goes in the rabbit hole of making something that is an illusion real. And he gets more upset. He gets more angry. And then he feels like there's an injustice because no one's doing anything about it. And he goes further down the rabbit hole. And then he gets upset at other people for not taking his side and how everybody is, is uh, sympathizing towards someone that is a, and a terrorist, a terrorist walking the streets so further and further down the rabbit hole because he's unwilling to question his judgment. Right. Yeah, a lot. You got a lot of work to do, Sushant. All right. <laughs> and <laughs> the last sentence is, uh, "What what can come between a fixed projection and the aim that has chosen as its wanted goal?" This is a question. Um, it's asking what can come between a projection and the aim that it has chosen as its wanted goal. Interesting. Um, I, I was thinking maybe uh, maybe doubt could come in between, but if you if your goal, it depends on what your your goal is. If your goal remains to be, well, I don't know. This this kind of gets deep into what well, are what is our I'm real goal. Gonna... Yeah, I'm going to pause you here because the next paragraph sort of answers the question. So let's go into okay. the next paragraph and see what, uh, see what comes up. <laughs> I want to say, though, it was kind of funny when uh, this last sentence, Lisa, Lisa goes, well, this is a question. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> as indicated, oh, it's fascinating. It's indicated here by the question mark at the end of the sentence. Uh, one is led to believe it's a question. And the question is, what can get in between a fixed projection and its goal? Very good, Lisa. Really? <laughs> really? You really tore that sentence up, girlfriend. You know what? I'm, I'm laughing at you. This is all a dream. I'm laughing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So uh, I forget the reading order. I think it was me, Sushant, Mike, and Lisa. We'll stick with that. So yes. that's what we'll do. Me, Sushant, Mike, and Lisa. Paragraph three. Here we go, guys. Diving on in. An unforgiving thought does many things. In frantic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. Distortion is its purpose and the means by which it would accomplish it as well. 
It sets about its furious attempts to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. In contrast to the stillness today's listen speaks of, an unforgiving thought is frantically active. It has to be. It must be frantic because it flies in the face of truth and attempts to make real an illusion. Frenetic activity is often the sign of unrecognized unforgiveness. Things that seem to oppose what we want to be what we want to be the truth popping up like gophers in the silly kids game of the bang the gopher of bang the gopher and we have to keep bashing them down to maintain our version of reality. Uh, stilling our mind and becoming quiet in and of itself is often enough to begin dissolving our unforgiveness. Unforgiveness cannot exist in quiet. You cannot be peaceful and unforgiving at the same time. Peace to my mind. Let all my thoughts be still. One thing that can foster this peace and stillness is focusing on the very exchange of love that is the center of today's lesson. The power of our affection for God and his for us can quell the stormy thoughts and bring even if only briefly, a moment of quiet peace in which unforgiveness simply dissipates. Go ahead, Sishan. Um, <clears throat> we do not realize how much our unforgiving thoughts distort the truth. Unforgiving thoughts twist our perception of things which are not in accord with how unforgiveness wants to see things. They overlook any evidence for love and find evidence of guilt. In the text section, the obstacles to peace, in the subsection on the attraction of guilt, our unforgiving thoughts are compared to scavenging messengers harshly ordered to seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and of sin that they can find, losing none of them on pain of death and laying them respectfully before their Lord and Master, that is, we find what we are looking for and the ego is looking for guilt. But distortion is not only the me- but distortion is not only the method used by the ego. Distortion is also the ego's purpose. Thus the purpose of unforgiveness is to distort reality. Unforgiveness furiously aims to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. Reality is the hated enemy the intolerable presence, because our reality is sin, the Son of God, never in the slightest separated from him. Reality exposes the ego as a lie and cannot be tolerated. So the way our mind works, when dominated by unforgiving thoughts, is designed from the beginning to distort reality beyond all recognition. In contrast to this, the Course asks us to dream of our brother's kindnesses instead of his... Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, to dream of our brother's kindnesses instead of his mistakes and not to brush aside his many gifts just because he isn't perfect. It tasks us to look for love instead of for guilt, looking for guilt, and rather finding fault to finding love instead. To begin with, we can simply start to question the way we see, we see things in awareness that our thought process, uh, processes, processes are and 
and our methods of making judgment have been severely impaired and simply are not reliable. It isn't that we should not judge, it's that we cannot judge. We are operating at diminished capacity. We need a healthy mind to judge on our behalf, and that mind is the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love I love this. So, it's almost like, um, okay, so, like, think of, like, when, like, we've seen those, like, chase scenes in movies and the cop gets the bad guy cornered in the alleyway and he's, like, running around and frantically trying to find any escape route and all that stuff. That's the same energy and essence that an unforgiving thought has in our mind. It's frantic. It's looking for evidence to prove our judgment right. It has to be frantic. That's why if you're really angry with someone or you've really been going through it with someone, at the end of the day, you just feel exhausted. So if you have a belief system, a thought, that just isn't true, I mean, I know this. I do this all the time at Inspire. When I feel like I'm doing a bad job or not... uh, like I'm missing the mark as a teacher or a leader or whatever, I will go and I'll find all the evidence to prove myself right. See, this person doesn't like you. This person's upset. This person criticized this. This person is having a problem here. This person pulled away here. This person decided to leave the program here. This person decided to whatever. You are failing. You're a failure. You are not good at what you do. See, look. Like, oh, you didn't meet your quota here. You didn't raise enough money here. You didn't, da, 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 da. And I will go to the point where I, I get burnt out. Like, I have to just take the day, a day off and just watch Netflix all day because I can't be with the thoughts anymore. But all that is, it's frenetic judgment thoughts looking for evidence to prove something right that isn't true. Isn't that, like, I find that to be so freeing to understand that, to be able to put an explanation on that feeling. So if you have a judgment about someone, it takes so much more energy to keep that judgment active than it does to release it and just quietly allow love to express itself. Because when we are quiet, we can lead into what is always there, what always has been and always will be. Who has thoughts? Interesting. I think maybe watching Netflix actually helped help sometimes because you see the drama in other people's lives and you're like laughing at it and you know you realize oh my gosh I'm in this drama too I'm like I'm feeling drama about the same crazy things yeah you shot I really like um, how they anthropomorphize uh, the whole, like, seeking, you know, um, for evidence against something or someone, like a situation. And um, it's it's so true. Sometimes, like, you know, I have to kind of be with my thoughts and, you know, do the thing about, like, is it true? Is it really true? who would I be without that thought when that starts to happen? Because, you know, it's 
it's not real. And I think the like what you said the I I, I loved what you said once in um at service. You said that um urgency is not of God. You know? So the this whole frenetic thing too, like I, I feel if when trying to make a decision or trying to like do something too quickly or come up with sort of accusations against someone too quickly, it's the same sort of like urgency or frenetic energy and it doesn't really feel of God. So I really resonated with what you said that time. So reading this made me think of that as well. Mm-hmm. Mike? Yeah, I mean, obviously, echo uh, everyone here. Um, I I uh, I have this uh, situation at work where you know I'm, I'm a manager and I manage people, <clears throat> and there's a couple of um, there was some layoffs, and they kind of like distributed the the responsibilities of, between myself and someone else and <clears throat> and so I was kind of giving this uh one of my maintenance uh team members a task and he just like blatantly was like that's not my job that's so and so's job and that was one of the guys that was getting laid off and uh, and so I was you know, kind of working with him to just be like, listen, like, uh, you know, I asked you to do this. It's now my responsibility, and so I'm delegating it to you. You know, thank you. And I just kind of walked away and then came back like a while later, and he still wasn't doing it, and he was, like, looking all pissed. And so I kind of, like, pulled him up a little bit and, and, and kind of, like, talked to him like a manager, you know, but also just, like, um, you know, we're friends, but like we're coworkers in this in this environment. And uh, I was getting so like frustrated, but I was trying to like work with it. And because uh, and he's a really sensitive guy too. Anyway, to make a long story short, like I kind of pulled him up, and uh, you know, not I don't think in a in a bad way, but um, but in in a way where I was getting real with him. I'm a really nice guy, so then when I do that, I think it kind of, like, affronts people a little bit. Um, not that I'm being nasty, but, like, you know, I, I'm i just, you know, kind of being real. And so, um, like, I came in on Friday, and he had called out, and he said that he was, like, had, like, um, contemplated suicides. He has a lot of other things going on in his life, so, like, I'm sure that this situation kind of prompted it, you know, from based off of a lot of other things that are happening to me. So I was, like, really um, in the illusion yesterday morning about that. And, <clears throat> and uh, you know, praying a lot and meditating and asking, like, what, what, you know, what's the reality here, you know, like, you know, 
how do I find love here instead of feeling all this guilt and like what, you know, what is my purpose in all of this? And I had actually been praying for him quite um, specifically saying his name in the mornings. And then suddenly, you know, like I had to pull him up and then he called in with these, you know, with saying that he was contemplating suicide. He was like, He's been, he was institutionalized for like almost 16 years and he's transitioning into normal life. And, but, you know, like, so he's still like, um, he's, you know, challenged by that. And so he's kind of depressed and a little bit here and there. And so he had said on the phone when he called out that he was thinking about going to therapy. And so I'm hoping that what's happening here is that he is getting the help. And th- this situation might, help him even though it doesn't feel good and I'm kind of weak weak to like using my tools in this situation because I feel really guilty and um, kind of caught up in that and so I don't know like this this kind of has been making me think very hard about that situation um, uh, you know this reading um, so yeah I just wanted to share that with you guys. How so? <laughs> like in in regards to like the frenetic uh, energy of an unforgiving thought, how could you relate that to what you just shared? Well, like you know, of course I have a lot. You know, I I'm like just constantly thinking, what did I say? What you know, was I too hard on him, or was I, you know, like you you know, it goes that way, and then you know it kind of goes another way of just like, you know, you know, it's not my job to be a therapist, you know, and, and to, you know, but then also struggling with like, you know, my job is to be like of service. And, and so there, there it's just a lot of like guilt and, and fear and, and, you know, with like some clarity here and there, but, you know, it, it's like, <laughs> riding a roller coaster a little bit. Because, you know, I've never dealt with this situation like this before. <laughs> uh, but obviously, it's happening to me for some reason that I don't understand um, in this moment. But, you know, I've been praying for him specifically because I know he's, you know, he's in need of help. And so then these situations are manifesting. Mm. Mhm. So in that experience what you're sharing is that you had like at first your first one of your first reactions to the scenario to hearing that was feeling guilty trying to take that you were taking on uh because of the situation that happened the day before you were taking on his uh, thoughts of suicide or wanting to kill himself, and so you were looking for evidence, frantically looking for evidence to make yourself wrong in that situation. Yeah, and then all, even going a step further, oh my God! And if he had killed himself, I would just, I don't, I would be, I would feel so bad, and kind of taking it there, even though that's not what happened. Uh-huh, but okay. still, like really, like you know, that's that frenetic thought system where it's uh-huh. taking me all over the place. Okay, cool, cool. I hear that. I hear that. 
know your process. And the last question I'll ask you is, is that true that you don't know why it's happening? Um, no, that's not true. I mean, I know why it's happening. Um, I just don't know how it's going to happen or how it's going to result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just figure, if you know, I keep, you know, asking for guidance and giving it over then and kind of seeing truth in it instead of, you know, the fear. Then I, I just assume that, you know, the whatever the outcome is is going to be God's will. So, um, yeah, I try to really hold on to that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, you know, this is this is what the work is, and um, yeah. Well, listen, our prayers are with you. We're going to move on to this next part, so we can uh, stay. Oh, uh, you know, because more will be revealed through this reading. I know that's too true. And thank you for sharing so clearly. And um, it, look, it sounds like you're doing the work. It sounds like you're having, you're, you're getting the clarity that will support you in being of the greatest service to this person, which is simply loving him. Yeah, you know. I hope so. I, I mean, I feel yeah, like that's what's it's, it's, happen. it's a call for love. It's a call for love. That's all that it is. It's just a cry for love. So. So let's, uh, let, let's move forward. Let's move forward to paragraph four. And uh, I believe uh, we'll start with Lisa. Lisa, Sushant, me, then Mike. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It offends no aspect of reality, nor seeks to twist it to appearances it likes. It merely looks and waits and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge, for he must justify his failure to forgive. But he who would forgive himself must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. If we can understand these first few sentences, we will have a clear grasp of what forgiveness really is. The words, on the other hand, refer to the preceding two paragraphs which describe an unforgiving thought, especially in 3.1. An unforgiving thought does many things. Forgiveness, on the other hand, does nothing. Unforgiveness is highly active, anxiously trying to make things fit into its picture of reality. Forgiveness does nothing. It does not rush to interpret or to attempt to understand. It lets things be as they are. Notice once again the heavy emphasis on stillness and quiet, the practice of the holy instant as the practice of forgiveness. Is practice at being still, being quiet, doing nothing. Our usual state of mind is the product of the ego's training, habitually active, constantly working. We need practice at being still and doing nothing. 
It takes a lot of practice to break the habit of frantic activity and form a new habit of being still and quiet. One trick of the ego I notice frequently is that it will try to make me guilty about being still and quiet. When I try to take 10 minutes to sit in stillness, my ego floods my mind with thoughts of what I ought to be doing instead. The mental state in which forgiveness occurs is one in which we simply allow all the reality all the reality to be as it is without judging anything. It offends no aspect of reality nor seeks to twist its appearances it likes. The appearance may the appearance my ego usually likes is some form of I am right and they are wrong or I am good and they are bad or I am better than he or she is. Even more simply, I am not like him or her. All of these thoughts share one theme. I am different from others and therefore separate from them. Any such thought is twisting reality because the reality is is that we are the same. We are equal. We are one. Forgiveness stills such thoughts and abandons all efforts to mash reality into a more desirable state. It merely looks and waits and judges not. It does not deny what it sees, but it puts no interpretation on it. It waits to be told the meaning by the Holy Spirit. My mate is having an affair. Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. My child is sick. Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. My boss has fired me. Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. We're so quick to think we know what things mean. And we are wrong. We do not. We lead to an understanding based on separation. And such understandings understand nothing. The most salutary thing we can do when any such upsetting event occurs in our lives is nothing. Simply to let our minds become still and quiet and to open ourselves to the healing light of the Holy Spirit. To seek a holy instant. Let this become an ingrained habit of our lives. And we will see the world in an entirely different way. And love will flow through us to bring healing instead of hurt to every situation. Uh, in the last two sentences of this paragraph, notice that a, a contrast is made between judging and welcoming the truth exactly as it is. The opposite of judgment is the truth. Judgment, then, must always be a distortion of the truth. This section has already pointed out that unforgiveness has uh, has distortion as its purpose. If I do not want to forgive, I must distort the truth. I must judge. Judgment here clearly carries the meaning of condemnation, of seeing sin, of making something wrong. Forgiveness does not do that. Forgiveness makes right instead of wrong because right is the truth about all of us. None of us is guilty. That is the truth. God does not condemn us. If I do so, I am distorting the truth. Judgment is always a distortion of the truth of our innocence before God. When I judge another, I do so because I am really, because I am trying to justify my unwillingness to forgive. I have gotten very good at it. I always seem to find some reason that justifies my unforgiveness. But what I do not realize is that every such judgment twists the truth, hides it, and obscures it. 
It makes real something that is not real. Furthermore, in obscuring the truth about my brother or sister, I'm hiding the truth about myself. I am substantiating the basis of my own self-condemnation. That is why the last sentence of the paragraph switches from my unforgiveness of another to the forgiveness of myself. He who would forgive himself. If I want to learn to forgive myself, I must abandon my judging of others. If their sin is real, so is mine. Instead, I must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Only if I welcome the truth about my brother or sister can I see it for myself. We stand or fall together. In him, you will find yourself or lose yourself. To a mind habituated to seeing itself as a separate ego, abandoning all judgment is frightening. It feels like the rug is being swept out from under our feet. We don't know where to stand. How can we live in the world without it? We literally do not know how. Judgment is how we have ordered our lives. Without it, we fear chaos. The Course assures us this will not happen. You are afraid of this because you believe that without the ego, all would be chaos. Yet I assure you that without the ego, all would be love. When we let go of judgment, when we are willing to welcome the truth exactly as it is, love rushes in to fill the vacuum left by the absence of judgment. It has been there all along, but we have blocked it. We don't know how this happens, but it happens because love is the reality. Love is the truth we are welcoming. Love will show us exactly what to do when our judgment is gone. So, how about this idea of doing nothing when something traumatic or dramatic seems to happen? Sushant, let's say, oh, is that Lisa? No, no, it was me. Go ahead. Okay. So, what are your thoughts on that, about doing nothing instead of going into, say, fixing it or uh, trying to find the solution or whatever it is, or creating a judgment of this is good or this is bad? What are your thoughts on that? You, you know, the I think what comes up for me is, like, there's uh, obviously when something happens, like, in the past, I've wanted to fix it immediately or, you know, like uh, clear a misunderstanding that happened because the feeling of that was uncomfortable, that I wasn't clear or something was misconstrued or misperceived or wanting to know, like, why, like, you know, someone was, like, crying because I said this or something like that. And then, like, I, I really think, like, the the shift that happened with me was when I heard you say that the thing about, you know, urgency is not of God. And I really, like, just practiced that of, like, letting go of wanting to, like, fix anything. And all I do is I just, like, hand it over to God, you know. And the funny thing is, is, like, whatever that situation was, because of being in stillness, it presents itself to me in like a completely different situation where if I had a disagreement with a friend and, uh, you know, there was a misunderstanding, I didn't say anything about it. I just prayed and, you know, at a party, like 
a month later, my friend mentioned something and that situation was cleared in the most, like, gentle way. So I I love the thing about um, the stillness. I think the more I've practiced it, I've come to appreciate it more. Beautiful. So often I think we go right into problem solving. And because that's what we were trained to do. When you're so not trained to sit in uncomfortability, to do nothing. I mean, I know that if I sense that someone in my life is upset, I go immediately, especially if it's because I feel like because of something I did, I go immediately into problem solving. And so one of my goals for myself is to do less, to observe, to, you know, accept that I feel uncomfortable, accept that I'm going, that I have tendencies to go into people pleasing and then do nothing. I allow the love to express, allow myself to be gently guided. Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from my boss in like being in the management aspect of like the school is a lot of times when like teachers will like snap or like, you know, I remember observing this teacher and he like he was not teaching according to how our teaching methodology is in our class, in our school. And uh, for a lower level, he was doing so many advanced things that like the students were just sitting and staring there. And afterwards, when I like talked to him, they told him like, you know, what he should improve on and things that he should take out. He got really, really defensive. And he, like, you know, said some really harsh things. And then, so I told my boss about it, and she was like, well, first of all, realize that that has nothing to do with you. And he he cannot talk to you like that at all. So, you know, we have to have a conversation about that because you are his supervisor. But also know that a lot of times when situations like this happen, it has, like, literally nothing to do with you. It's, like, that person's stuff. And so don't feel like you have to, like, do something right away or you have to make it okay. So I think, like, that lesson from my boss and just, like, management, like, helped me a lot in terms of anything that happens to just be like, okay, well, you know, it's not really about me. They're probably going through something. And the same thing with my students. I find, like, the story that I make up in my mind is completely different from what's happening. Like I remember one time the student was really angry and upset and he left the room and I thought he was just being disrespectful because I told him to put his cell phone away. Well, the situation that was revealed to me is that he thought that I wasn't giving him as much attention as the other students or that I didn't like him as much. And so it was like something completely different that than what I had imagined. So, yeah.
Uh, Jesse, are you there? Oh, my gosh. I had just been giving such brilliant teaching. And it was <laughs> on you. <laughs> um, I was saying that, uh, you know, Mark Anthony Lord really uh, made that clear to me about not taking anything personal, anything personal. And Jennifer Hadley was so masterful at that. She would never take on my judgments of her. Damn it. Like, I was always, like, try to blame her for something. She would never take it on. She'd thank, she'd thank me for sharing and, you know, how grateful she is that I was able to share that with her. But she wouldn't take it, pick it up. She'd leave it there on the floor, you know. Um, yeah, so that's just it, is really, really learning that, you know, so often if someone has a problem with you, it's not about you. But, you know, just being very mindful, doing nothing, allowing love to come forth. What would love do? That's the name of the game is becoming matchful enough to give ourselves a space to allow love to guide us, to hand it over. What about this idea of, and we're going to wrap up really quick, uh, this idea of letting the ego totally go. You know, the ego, letting, doing nothing, seeing the innocence in other people, um, seeing our oneness, connecting with that. That's the death of the ego. So the ego thought system, that's why it's frenetic. It's always looking for proof. It's always on the move. It has to go. It has to go. It has to exist. It has to prove itself right. It has to prove that it's, that it's real, that we need to invest in it. That's what the ego does. So when you have nothing to prove, you have nothing to do. Love has nothing to do because it has nothing to prove. It doesn't have to prove that it's real. It is real. The ego's biggest fear is that it actually isn't real. And so it has to continue to prove that it is, it is, it is, it is. There's something to be afraid of. There's something to fear. What's that over there? He doesn't like me. Who does he think he is? He's separate from me. Does he think he's better than me? Is he better than me? I don't have a job. What does that mean? I'm a loser. I'm going to be a loser. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. Everyone's going to think I'm unhirable. Everyone's going to think I'm inadequate. I'm whatever. Blah, da, 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 da. It's nauseum. You know, it's exhausting. So, you know, this thought of releasing, you know, even releasing body identification. That's terrifying to so many people. But what about sex? But what about, you know, um, all these things. Like, I want to be, I don't want to have to, I want to let go of my desire to be in a relationship. I don't, I don't want to, you know, be alone. I don't want to be single. Like, that's what's going to happen if I let go of body, if, when I let go of the ego. And we just go back to Byron Katie and to say, do you know that's true? How could you possibly know that's true? How could you possibly know that that's true? So we just remain willing to love ourselves. We remain willing to um, understand more deeply the true nature of who and what we are. Willingness. That is our job. Your homework this week is to, uh, because we did get to it, uh, because I, I decided to, to read the Hero of the Dream section of the Course in Miracles. So we didn't get to our spiritual resources by Joel Goldsmith. So your homework this week is to read Chapter 1 of Goldsmith, um, our spiritual resources. Take notes. Be ready to come guns blazing, ready to discuss, ladies and gentlemen. And then please share in the Facebook group your takeaways from uh, paragraph five and the rest of the reading. Um, you have a little extra time with the, our spiritual resources because our next group, Q, 
together uh, on our work it won't be for two weeks. It'll be two weeks from today. Next week is with Reverend Jennifer. <clears throat> so uh, spiritual resources, chapter one, read that. Take notes. Get ready to discuss. Read chapter, the, the paragraph five in the uh, What is Forgiveness commentary handout. And um, then share your takeaways in the Facebook group, okay? And I'll send out an email when you need to do so. Well, I love you all so very much. Good work. Any last thoughts? Any questions? Any prayer requests? All right. I'll put a prayer request into the pot. We found a space that we may uh, we might make a bid on. Um, and so just prayers for uh, it moving smoothly if it's meant to. And just... Uh, energizing that the perfect space is available and ready for us. So taking a deep breath in, a breath of gratitude. So grateful, so thankful for the opportunity to connect with our fellow practitioners, our soul tribe. And we go forward in the state of gratitude and thanksgiving with our hearts and minds open, offering up any blocks that might prevent us from experiencing deeper separation, false identification of our true self. We allow our true nature to express freely and we celebrate in that. So grateful, so thankful. We um, hold in our mind the truth, the knowing that we are in divine order. Everything's in divine order and just any waves of love and light to the new space, knowing that it's ready for us to move into, knowing that it gets to be an easy, wonderful, smooth transition surrounding um, landlords, brokers, everything that's involved with love and light and staying in that flow, in the, in the reminder that we need do nothing. We need do nothing. We need do nothing. But just in ways of light to anyone who's ever participated in anything from Inspire to Inspire and anyone who ever will. Love and light to our practitioners who aren't on the call today. Well, we just share the healing benefits of this time together with everyone because we are one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. So, Mike, what's the homework for this week? Read chapter one of uh, of resources. Yeah, spiritual resources. Uh Uh-huh. Section five. Yeah, and then read section five of this, and where do you uh, put your thoughts about it? Yes. And where do you put your thoughts about oh, that Facebook. section? Yeah, exactly. Rock and roll. Have a beautiful weekend, guys. I love you guys. Mike, I love you. I'm sending you lots of love, and your friend, too. Okay? Thank you. A worker. Yeah. All right. Take care, y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.